uh, open your Bibles. Excuse me. We're going to be in Proverbs, but um, let's go to First Samuel, verse or chapter eighteen. First Samuel, chapter eighteen, and uh, we'll we'll start there because I think it's a helpful introduction uh, to the topic that we have at hand tonight. We're looking at neighbors and friends tonight in uh, God's wisdom for men, seeing what the Lord has for us as it, as it pertains to our relationships with one another and with, with other uh, people in our lives. Uh, I think a helpful question before we get into the passage in 1 Samuel 18, uh, what does a man need in order to be whole? to be complete. What is it, what do you need as a man of God to be, you know, functioning optimally? What, what, are, what are the necessary ingredients uh, to life, especially as a, as a believer? Of course, you need air, you need food, right? Um, you need sleep, some more than others. Uh, but even more, I think, on a deeper level, of course, you need purpose. You need truth. Of course, you need Christ above all. But uh, you need some sort of family. You need a church family. You need your Bible, right? And you can probably rattle off a handful of other things that you know, I just can't do without. But I would propose to you to ask... Uh, what about friendship? What about friendship? The, the Word tells us that friendship is a vital part of the Christian life and even of just the human life in and of itself. So the question is, how ought we to think about friendship? What does God tell us when it comes to friendship? Well, we see a good model for friendship in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now it happened when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, when David has finished speaking to Saul, that the, son, that the soul of Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan cut a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And it goes on to show how he honored him and cared for him, and they were friends. This is friendship. But I want to show you practically what does that look like, especially as we go to the Proverbs. But if you would go a little bit later on in the life of David to 1 Samuel 23, 1 Samuel 23, we see David uh, fleeing for his life. We see him uh, being persecuted by Jonathan's father, Saul. And it says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15, then David saw, saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. So Saul was trying to kill David because he was a challenge to his throne. Now David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. So Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. I'd propose to you that this is a wonderful model of friendship. That it is not superficial because Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. That it was based on truth because it was in response to what David had said. And not only that, but it is uh, for the purpose of mutual help and edification. Because, and especially when life gets hard. Just as we see here in chapter 23 that Jonathan came to David and strengthened his hand, but notice it's strengthening his hand in God. 
So Jonathan, though, though David was fleeing for his life, Jonathan's, he could have done many things for David. He could have given him shelter or food or something else. But what does he do? What is the most important thing that he does for his friend when his friend's life is in danger? He encourages him in God. The, the idea of strengthening his hand in God is that he, it's, it's, it's this soul encouragement, this, this, this uh, reviving of the heart, this uh, strengthening of his power, his spiritual strength. It's not you know, that his hand, his literal hand was weak. Hand is, the, is a signifier of power, of strength. And so it's the idea of simply that Jonathan strengthened uh, David by, by reminding him of who his God was. It's a selfless thing, friendship is. And it is aimed towards helping another. I think you can sum up the, the, the biblical teaching of friendship in a very familiar verse, Leviticus 19.18, one key principle that can sum up all of our relationships with other people, and specifically friendship, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up every relationship that you have in your life, especially those closest to you, including your friendships. So tonight, I want to help us uh, think about friendships, how to foster them, uh, how to um, weed out good friendships versus bad, and how to be a good friend yourself. Not only how to look for a good friend, but also how to be a good friend. Uh, I want to promote uh, to you tonight, brothers, the delight and the profit of Christian friendship. The delight and profit of Christian friendship. These, those are the two main characteristics that we see in Scripture, that a good friend is just a delight. It, it brings happiness and joy. It makes dark seasons a little brighter, you could say. And then it's not only a delight, but it's a profit. There, you actually get something out of your, uh, a biblical good friendships, that you are actually helped um, in... The, the meaningful ways of life. You're actually profited by friendships. But before we get to friendships, we need to look at uh, this idea of a neighbor. Because in, in the scriptures, uh, uh, the Hebrew word for friend and neighbor are interchangeable. Uh, and as we look at neighbor... Uh, a neighbor is any kind of general relationship that you have with anybody. Uh, neighbors are those whom you come into contact with throughout your day. It can be um, some of them. Some of your neighbors can be your friends. Uh, some of, and some of them could be your literal neighbor who lives next door. Uh, it, it, it could be a coworker or a co-student. It could be a fellow member in the church or, or uh, uh, somebody that you see every Sunday or every Wednesday at a home group. Those are your neighbors, um, as well as other various relationships that you have. Uh, just on a general uh, basis, those are all your neighbors. And so when it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it's all of those people. It's not just the people that are closest to you. It's anybody that you come into contact with. But I, 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 we need to address this idea of neighbor and how you can be a, 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 a God-glorifying a good neighbor. I know when I say good neighbor, the State Farm jingle comes to mind. And that, I was battling that the whole time I studied this thing. But uh, the way that you can be a good neighbor is uh, not just by being State Farm, but uh, by these three key principles, uh, by being a peacemaker, being, uh, be a, being a peacemaking neighbor, being a kind neighbor, and being a righteous neighbor. We're going to get through these rather quickly. Uh, but what I want you to, how I want you to think about this first section here under neighbor, 
is that it is out of these neighbor relationships, these kind of general, maybe a little, not shallow, but, but not deep, you know, the, these just general relationships. It's out of those neighbor relationships that friends come, right? If you think about it. Your, whoever your friends are, and I, and I pray and hope that you do have friends, or at least you're striving for that, whoever your friends may be, they, it wasn't like you just, uh, you know, just threw a dart at, uh, into the phone book or you just blindly um, chose one of those people on Facebook or something and said, that's going to be my lifelong friend. You know, it started somewhere, right? And all of our friendships start in this category of neighbor. And so you can think of this section as kind of like... Uh, uh, the underlying foundation to Christian friendship. All right? So these are non-negotiables with all relationships, but, but especially as we get towards friends, we, we don't leave these behind. This is just the assumed kind of relationship and dynamic that you have with somebody. So I, I want you to be thinking two, two sides here. I need to be looking for these kinds of people, and I need to be this kind of person, right? So we're going to address both sides of that same coin of friendship this whole night. I need to be looking for these kinds of people, and I need to be this kind of person for others. So first, uh, be a peacemaking neighbor. Be a peacemaking neighbor. And uh, like I said, we're, I, I want to go through this quickly, that, and this is intentional because uh, I think the, the, the main meat of our time is going to be in the second part. So I'm just going to read this for you. One verse, Proverbs 25, verse 8 and 9. was two verses, but one passage. Proverbs 25, verse 8 and 9. Let me read it for you. It says, Do not go out hastily to plead your case, lest what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Plead your case with your neighbor, and do not reveal the secret of another. So the, the point of this passage here, this proverb, is when, um, when conflict happens, when, when a problem is, uh, arises with just general relationships, you know, whether it's, you know, the problem is um, the, the fence fell down, or, you know, your neighbor is um, barbecuing and all the smoke is going into your, your apartment. Um, or whether it's, uh, you know, the neighbor that rear-ended you on the way to work. All of these things and, and, and anything in between. When there is um, a conflict or a problem, it says, do not go out hastily to plead your case. So to be a peacemaking neighbor means that you ought to be reluctant to start strife and spread strife. So don't uh, be so quick to fight. Don't be so quick to argue. Don't be so quick. Uh, if, if there's uh, a conflict or a problem, don't be so fast to defend yourself. That's not peacemaking. And the reason is because every time there's a problem, you only have half the story. You only have your perspective. So uh, it, that's why it goes on to say, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? When he or she reveals their side of the story, then it's like, oh, I didn't even realize that that happened. Right? Somebody cuts you off and, and you just freak out. Uh, but you don't know that maybe uh, the, the lady in the car is in labor or whatever else, or there's some sort of emergency that they have to get to, right? And, and you're humiliated because you got angry at a pregnant woman or, or somebody in, in, in a dire situation. And, and that's, you know, that's a trivial way, but I mean, we can, we can flesh that out in any situation. Don't be so fast to defend yourself, to to get angry, to get upset, to, to get defensive. And also, don't be quick to throw accusations around. 
Rather, deal with problems and conflict one-to-one with your neighbor. Right? Um, Bruce Walke, he reminds us, one should not smear another's name in order to clear his own. Right? Be a peacemaking kind of neighbor. Don't go around saying, well, it wasn't my fault. You know, uh, and that's not my problem or you know, that's not because of me, that's on them. Don't be so quick to be that way. Don't be so quick to clear your name at the expense of another. Secondly, be a kind neighbor. Be a kind neighbor. This comes from Proverbs 25 as well. Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22. It says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and Yahweh will repay you. Now, there's all kinds of interpretations of this, but uh, the best uh, commentaries uh, tell us that this whole passage, both verses, are talking about you blessing your neighbor. So the heaping burning coals on your neighbor's head, that's a good thing. But we're gonna, we're, we'll talk briefly about what, how is that a good thing. But uh, in verse 21, Proverbs 25, 21, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Notice that it's your enemy. And sometimes your neighbor is your enemy. And it's usually because they've sinned against you or you against them in some way. But nonetheless, even if, it's, if that person is your enemy simply because of their own sin, God says, God commands in response to their, them being an enemy towards you, God commands his people to meet the needs of those who mis- have mistreated us. It's not if your neighbor is hungry. It's if your enemy is hungry. There's a vast difference. Now, this, of course, demands, this kind of response demands that we not hold a grudge, right? It demands and assumes that we are not allowing ourselves to become bitter towards our enemies. Those who, uh, despite our efforts of making peace, remain our enemy. Because of their willful sin. This assumes that you are at such a place in your heart and your mind towards that person that if you find out that they have a need, you're able to respond. And you're not slow to wait for others to do something that you should do. Now, this heaping burning coals on their heads, uh, how do we understand that? Well, one commentator says... Uh, carrying the fire or carrying these, these, these burning embers uh, signifies that person's consciousness and attitude of shame, remorse, repentance, and ultimately correction. It's a symbolic thing. And as a result of them being conscious of their sin, of, of them being uh, convicted, that's the imagery of burning coals on someone's head, is that there is uh, an, an awareness and there is a remorse, uh, a repentance. The result is that there will be a reward for you. Yahweh will repay you. And what's the, what's the reward? Well, Bruce Walkie uh, uh, guides us here. He says, Often, the reward is the elimination of your enemy. But it's not an elimination of your enemy by vengeance or wrath. Rather, it is an elimination of your enemy by the means of reconciliation. So what he's saying here is, if you have an enemy who is, who is uh, hateful or sinful towards you, and then you turn around and bless them and provide for their need, this will uh, be like uh, burning coals on their head. It will be this, this, this um, imagery of 
and, and, and they get this from uh, Egyptian uh, fables and stories. If, if, uh, if they're blessed, then they'll be convicted. Like, oh, I hate this guy, but look what he's doing for me. Right? That's the burning coals. Their head is hot with, with remorse or conviction or uh, uh, guilt over their hard-heartedness towards you. And the reward from, from Yahweh, Walke says, is presumably for achieving reconciliation between the two persons involved. And this could only be due to a change of heart on the part of the enemy. This is, this is exactly what uh, Paul gets to in Romans 12, 17-21, where it says, Never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do you overcome the evil that is in the heart of your enemy? It is by doing good for him. So be a kind neighbor. And then third, be a righteous neighbor. Be a righteous neighbor. Proverbs 12.26 says that the righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked makes them wander about. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked makes them wander about. Now, this shows us that uh, it, it is easy to underestimate the degree of influence that we have with others and that others have upon us. Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs 22, it warns us to not be a friend of an angry man or else you'll learn his ways. But here in Proverbs 12, 26, we see that this influential power is not limited to anger and other sins. It extends even to righteousness or holiness or godliness. Here in Proverbs 12, 26, the stress is uh, on the importance of righteousness in our relationships. So what does this mean, practically? It means, as you are looking for neighbors and relating to people around you, the principle that is here and elsewhere in Proverbs and in Scripture is distance yourself from unrighteous people in your life and then move towards those who display holiness and godliness. Now, of course, the New Testament tells us, you know, if we uh, were to not be around any sinners, we'd have to go to heaven, right? We, would, we couldn't be in this world if we wanted to isolate ourselves uh, from sinners. I'm not, we're not talking about isolation here. We're not promoting that you try and live in your little Christian bubble what, we're, what this is stressing is you are influenced by those around you. And so if you uh, are around unrighteous, godless, unholy, or immature people mostly, then that's what you will be. But if you are Surrounding yourself more and more, not exclusively, but more and more righteous men, godly men, holy men, then guess what? That will rub off on you. The righteous, it says, is a guide to his neighbor. Now, of course, you yourself must strive to be a righteous guide to your neighbor as you seek other righteous guides to be your neighbor. Now, uh, one quote, Bruce Walkie again, a good word comes from a good person. 
and without such a friend, a person can stray to death. This proverb urges extreme caution when choosing one's friend. It could be a matter of life and death. So brothers, uh, think long and hard about who you surround yourself with. Who are your acquaintances? Who do you spend your time with? Now, of course, there's people that you just can't avoid. Your co-workers, your family. And God help you if you are with godless or unbelieving or immature co-workers and family. And, and, and God can enable, it, enable you so that their influence upon you is stunted. But the main way that that's going to happen, the main way that you can counteract the, the influence that does happen towards sin is by being influenced towards righteousness and godliness and holiness by holy men. Now, many people who lack friendships will find that they themselves lack one or more of these qualities, right? Think about it. No one wants to be close to someone who doesn't make peace. No one wants to be a close friend who isn't kind. And no one wants to be around someone who is unrighteous and evil. So if you have difficulty making friends, maybe there's one of these areas where you need to improve. Maybe you can be more kind to those around you. And that will attract the right kind of people. That will make people want to be around you. So brothers, uh, be, be a, uh, excuse me, be a peacemaking friend, be a kind friend, and be a righteous friend. And look for those people, right? So this is the foundation. So if, if you're not able to make peace, if you're not able to be kind, if you're not uh, holy, then it will be very difficult to have friendships. And likewise, if there's people around you that are uh, 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 prone towards strife, don't you know, invest into those people for, for the next phase of deeper, more meaningful friendships. If, if they are... Uh, unkind, then for your own sake, right? Uh, don't invest into those kinds of people in this next phase of friendship. If they are characterized by unrighteousness and evil uh, doing, certainly uh, limit your exposure to that person. And remember, to have good and profitable friends, you must first surround yourself with good and profitable neighbors. Likewise, to be a good and profitable friend, you must first strive to be a good and profitable neighbor. You must strive to be and emanate these three characteristics. Now, second, I want to spend the rest of our time on this. Uh, what is a friend? What is true, biblical, Christian friendship? Well, first of all, true friendship is steadfast. Now, here's where we want to get into the Word. So we're just going to look at a couple verses for this. The first one is in Proverbs 17. So if you would turn there with me, Proverbs 17, verse 17. It's a familiar passage. Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So what this is telling us is that a good and profitable friend is a dependable, a constant presence in the life of another. 
you're there, right? And that's why State Farm says, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there because they understand to be a friend, you're there when it matters. You're there when it matters. Especially when life gets difficult. The good friend does not run. In this verse, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. In this verse, there's a contrast, if you notice, between friends and brothers. So if you think about it, a brother, uh, you're born. If you, if you have a brother, you didn't get to choose your brother, usually. Uh, you don't get to choose your family. But friends, you do get to choose. And they get to choose you. And so what's, what's being stressed here is, uh, you know, most can depend on their brother or their relative to be there when life is difficult. I mean, that's, that's just one of the blessings of family. But sometimes not. However, they are there when life is difficult because there's a sense of obligation, right? Because they are family, I ought to be there, right? I don't get to choose it, but uh, I willingly participate in this obligation of being there when life is difficult. A brother is born for adversity. But a friend, it says, a friend loves at all times, good and bad seasons, prosperity and adversity. The first place that many people look, might look to for help is to their family. And that's fine and well, but a good friend will be devoted to love and care and help you even in a situation. In, a, in any situation of life. One commentator says, the friend is represented as always being present in good times and bad, but the relative only in adversity. A friend rejoices and weeps with you, Romans twelve fifteen, But a relative functions more as a safety net here in this verse. Now, many of us are blessed with believing family. And so, of course, uh, they are your friends as well. Not only family, but as believers, they are, in every sense of the word, a good friend. At least they ought to be. Uh, even in adversity, the friend's spiritual ties are better and stronger than blood ties. It's very common. So, a friend is always there. Loves at all times. Doesn't just show up when, you know, you call them out of need. They're there all the time. So, look out, brothers. Look out for fair-weather friends. Look out for fair-weather friends. And, of course, again, make sure that you're not a fair-weather friend as well. Make sure that you're not available to your friends only when it's convenient, or only when you have spare time, or only when you have money or they have money. <laughs> Don't be a fair-weather friend. Be prepared to show up at the hospital, to babysit children, to give money, and to cook meals. That's friendship. But also, be prepared, if you really want to be a friend, be prepared to, show, to, uh, to spend time, to fellowship, to laugh, to have them in your house to have deep conversations and be prepared to forgive. Now, a, a, a true friendship is steadfast. It, it's constant. It's a constant reality. To balance this, though, we need to heed the warning in Proverbs twenty-five seventeen, where it says, let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, lest he have more than his fill of you and hate you. 
it is possible to overstay your welcome. Friendships can be like a really good song, right? When it comes on, or when it just when it just turns on, it's great, it's enjoyable, and some you know if it's a believing, it's a, if it's a Christian song, it's super encouraging and helpful even. But if you hear it over and over and over again, that favorite song of yours will no longer be your favorite song. You'll grow tired of it, won't you? So it is with a friend. They are good in measure. They are good as a regular uh, uh, occurrence. But don't overstay your welcome. Otherwise, they have more than their fill of you and then hate you, the proverb says. And not only this, but uh, uh, true and steadfast uh, friendships uh, are the result of focusing in on uh, the few rather than the many. Proverbs 18, 24. Uh, this close by, if you're still with us in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That last phrase is, I trust, familiar to you. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you didn't know that that was in the Bible. I thought that, that was something Hallmark made up or something. <laughs> but the point here in this is, you ought to value, we ought to value a few quality friends over many decent friends. Again, in this proverb, Proverbs 18, 24, a friend is contrasted to a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It, it is possible and even common to have a friend that is closer to you and more dependable than your own brother. Now, if you, again, if you have a believing brother, then hopefully that it's not too much of a, of a difference. But, it's, but again, it's, it, it's, it's, it goes back to you don't get to choose your brother. He doesn't get to choose you, but you do get to choose your friend. And they do get to choose you. So there's a commitment there. And sometimes there's more meaning and more strength to that because I commit to you as my friend. Where your brother, it's like, I've just learned to love you. <laughs> I've learned to deal with you. Even though that love may be genuine. Again, you can have a friend that is closer and more dependable to you than your own brother. And this is because a faithful man... Proverbs 20, verse 6 says that a faithful man is like a rare jewel. Anybody can have a brother, almost, right? Many people have brothers or sisters or siblings or, 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 or relatives. Everybody has a relative, right, if you're, if you're in existence. But a faithful man, a faithful friend, that's a rare jewel. One author writes that the significance of friends is found in their quality, not quantity. The significance of friends is found in their quality, not quantity. Thus, the proverb implicitly warns the disciple against pursuing wealth and having pseudo-friends. All those fair-weather friends that are there because you, you're generous and you treat them out to lunch or whatever else. Or you're just nice and they like being around nice people. Look for a quality friend rather than just having many friends. Look for, how do you find this, this, this kind of person who will be a steadfast friend? Well, look for their faithfulness first to Christ and to his church. If you find a man who is faithful to serve, the church. If you find a man who is faithful to attend the church, you can have confidence that he will be there for you too. And remember, if you want that kind of friend, you have to be that kind of friend. Right? It goes both ways. And this, of course, reminds us 
of our dearest friend. There is indeed a friend who sticks closer to a brother. And that is epitomized in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul, in 2 Timothy 4.17, he reflects on the time when he was uh, tried in court. And he stood there in court with his life on the line. And he says that though all deserted me, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You see, no matter what you're going through, you, if you have Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is no fair-weather friend. And you can count on Him. Though you feel alone at times, though you are alone at times, you can be confident, Christian, that the Lord stands with you and is there to strengthen you. Just as Jonathan did to David. Secondly, true friendship is sincere. True friendship is sincere. Again, back in Proverbs, uh, I want to focus in on just one verse. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, in this verse, there are two what we call oxymorons, right? Two oxymorons. One is friendly wounds, and the other is wounding kisses. And in the first one, and the first uh, pair, wounds which are normally inflicted by an enemy, when, it's inflict- when they are inflicted by a friend, symbolize his strong devotion and loyalty. Likewise, on the flip side, the other oxymoron, it, it is that uh, kisses which are normally associated with a loving friend when given by an enemy, are hypocritical and are signals of his disdain and infidelity or or, uh, uh, untruthfulness. So, brothers, don't be naive or gullible when people say nice things to you. And on the flip side, don't be overly suspicious of everyone either. Now, this is especially helpful uh, wisdom for men and women who are looking for a relationship with a member of the opposite sex. If you are desiring to date someone or uh, you long to be married one day. This is helpful for you. Don't let their nice words fool you. You may be receiving kisses of an enemy. Are they willing to wound you out of their friendship and love for you? Then you have found a good friend. Proverb 29.5 says that a man who always flatters is setting a trap. So if you got someone in your life that just says nothing but good things, uh, like, uh, like one general said, it's a trap. Now what are these wounds mentioned here? The wounds of a friend. The wounds are a metaphor for the painful yet plain words that must be spoken in a true friendship. If there is to be any help for the friend, if there is to be any restoration of maybe a broken relationship, these wounds are words 
if uh, Bruce Walke says, if one knows the person delivering the painful word truly loves him, then he can be confident that the painful words aim to do him good. Now again, there is a need to, to balance this with the warning of another proverb, Proverbs 25, uh, verse 20. It says, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to an aching heart. So the idea is, don't go around wounding everyone in the name of truth. Right? Just because what you say is right or true, don't just like, you know, just start swinging the truth with, without any care. Right? There must be wise timing wise delivery of that truth so that the only thing that wounds is the truth itself. You, if there is any wound, if there is any pain, let it not be because you were uh, unwise in uh, your timing of the delivery of that truth or the manner in which you communicated that truth. Let that not be the, the reason for the pain or the wound. Rather, let it simply be the truth itself, that wounds. If it is a truth that wounds, then you have done your job as a friend. Because there will be times when someone's words will hurt you simply because of the truth that is in them. You know, I, I, I've never met a child who loves to drink cough syrup. Right? But... At the same time, I've never met a loving parent who would refuse to give their child the medicine he needs. Likewise, I've never known anybody who loves criticism, loves uh, to be told that they're wrong. At the same time, I've never met someone uh, who truly loves another and just goes on lying or refusing to speak the truth. Again, the New Testament directs us in this as well as, as uh, New Testament believers. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That word stimulate is to shake up, to aggravate. It goes on, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So brothers, you ought to be shaking each other up, uh, lovingly speaking truth, though it may possibly wound for a moment, just like a scalpel does to someone uh, who is in need of surgery. Just like uh, someone who has cancer needs to be wounded in order to be healed. So we need to be wounded in order to grow spiritually. And third, true friendship speaks. True friendship speaks. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says that oil and incest make the heart glad, so, and so also counsel from the soul is sweet to his friend. Oil and incest, incense make the heart glad, so counsel from the soul is sweet to his friend. See, the point is, uh, good friends talk to each other. Good friends talk to each other. You know, in, in Exodus, remember, it says that uh, Yahweh used to speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. You see, Yahweh, our Lord, and Moses uh, spoke face to face, and, and it was a relationship like that of a friend. And Christian, you have that with Christ in your soul because 
because he, through the Holy Spirit and through, his, through the word, as he illuminates the word to you, he speaks to your very soul. But we can carry this principle over to us. What does it mean to be a friend? It means to speak. Christian friends talk. Not mostly about sports or hobbies or work or the weather, but predominantly truth. The verse here compares the outward aesthetic uh, pleasantness of glistening olive oil on the face and fragrant incense on the garments. It likens that delightfulness with the sweetness of a friend who gives passionate, not disinterested, counsel. Walk, he says. Notice it says, counsel from the soul is sweet to his friend. What does that mean? This counsel from the soul is advice that is the result of thoughtful consideration and prayer. It is heartfelt from the soul. It is heartfelt, loving, and caring counsel. You know, when someone tells you what they're going through, maybe a trial or a situation in, in life, don't just say, well, I hope that works out for you. Or, it is what it is. Give them biblical truth, brothers. And what's wonderful is you don't have to come up with something profound or insightful. God has already given you uh, exactly what you need to say in His Word. Just give them the, the verse. Give them God's counsel as it comes from your soul. What does that look like? What, what kind of counsel? How do you relate to others? Well, again, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Brothers, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all. So, if you have a friend who is sinning, wayward, or stubborn in their sin and bad patterns, admonish them and bring the word of God to bear upon their soul. If they're faint-hearted, quick to give up, throw in the towel, that Eeyore mentality, then be an encouragement to them. Give them hope and promises from the Word of God. If they're weak or young in the faith or new to a certain phase of life, if they don't know how to have victory over a sin or if they don't know how to understand the Bible or pray or anything else, help them. Point them to Scripture that clearly delineates for them what God wants from them. And whatever counsel you give from your soul to a friend, be patient. One more proverb is Proverbs 27, 17. We're in Proverbs 27. Just a little bit farther up. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? This is usually the verse for like, you know, uh, men's ministries, you know, men's conferences. Uh, you know, I was tempted to title this Lesson iron, sharpening iron, or something like that, or iron men. So cheesy, man. Um, <laughs> it's well intended, but cheesy nonetheless. Um, but here, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
there's, it's a visual metaphor, right? And so there, there is a lot to draw from this, but we don't want to stretch it too far. But simply speaking, God teaches us here the profit of a good friendship. As you find that good friend, and as you are that good friend, you will begin to have deep and meaningful conversations with him. Now, as part of the illustration, sometimes you'll agree and sometimes not, as iron sharpens iron, produces sparks or heat or chips. And there may be times where his words wound you, just as we looked at in the previous uh, verse. Yet in the long run, there is healing and sharpening. Also, like the sharpening of an iron blade, just one swipe won't do it. True friendship is the repetitive interaction through words. That's true friendship. Are you often speaking truth? Are you often going to your friend to to give them an opportunity to speak truth? And the result is if if you do that, the result is you get sharpened. And you get to be a, a, a sharpening agent for another. Literally, the word here, when it says, so one man sharpens another, it's interesting. The the literal wording is, one man sharpens the face of his friend. One commentator commentator, uh, explains it like this. He says, this is a pun, because the working edge of a knife is called its face. The blade, the, the, the cutting face of the knife. And so it's a pun. It functions as a metaphor for a person's knowledge and character. The analogy here infers that the friend persists and does not shy away from critical, constructive criticism. And as a result, a man develops the capacity to succeed in his task just like an effective tool. And in the end... He will thank his friend. What is a knife good for? It is to be used. What good is a dull knife? It's no use. Right? So also, you will be less useful in the kingdom. Less effective in your efforts to exalt Christ in your life if you are not allowing yourself to be sharpened by a friend. A true Christian friend speaks truth into the mind and heart of his friend. And he does this over and over and over again, sharpening bit by bit by bit, not nagging his friend, but not giving up either. Speak the truth, brothers, and keep on speaking. Because true friends talk. And again, we get our model for this by our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. In John 15, 15, this is beautiful. He says, no longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He tells his disciples, you're, you're, you're not simply my slaves. I am your master, of course. That's, that you, I am Lord. That doesn't change. But I call you friends. I relate to you as, as friends. And you want proof of that? Well, remember how I've spoken to you. Remember how I talked to you again and again, day after day after day, sharpening you. So the principle here is is pursue open, honest, and detailed communication. This is vital for Christian fellowship or Christian friendship. Now, as I close... uh, 
you might be saying to yourself, you know, that, that's, that's difficult for me. It's difficult for me to establish friendships. You might, be, you might think of such reasons as, uh, you know, I'm shy. Or maybe you're guarded. Or you're self-conscious. Or you're an introvert. Or you feel like you don't have time. Or maybe you've been hurt before. Or you have social anxiety. Uh, if I may, please allow me to admonish you and remind you that all of those reasons can be traced back to some sinful tendency in you. But be encouraged, brother. God is able to help you overcome those things so that you can enjoy sweet friendships. And when you feel like it's just too difficult or complicated to have a good friendship, then I, I implore you, call out to Christ who can help you because he has given you the perfect model of friendship. Again, John 15, in verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And dear child of God, while still being your master, the stunning reality is that Jesus considers you his friend. And so he can help you. And just, just remember of how he is towards you. And just be that way towards others. Strive to have meaningful friendships, brothers. Sometimes it starts with just being the right kind of neighbor. But have that trajectory in your life. You know, I know as men... We might think, well, that's kind of like a girly thing. That's a womanly thing to have friends. Um, David was a man's man. He had a dear friend. Jesus was the best man of all. The greatest, strongest, most uh, courageous man in history. And he surrounded himself with good friends. He actually had uh, a beloved friend in John. And so we are not above that. We all need this. This is God's design, not only for humanity, but especially for us as believers. And I, I encourage you uh, to be uh, leaning into your relationships with one another and with, with others in the church especially. And if you're married, your dearest friend, your closest friend ought to be your wife. That should be your first friendship. And then you add to that others, other men, to be friends. Let me pray, and then maybe we can do some questions if you have any. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, for uh, these your men, for myself, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to prize friendships, to give it the attention and the time that it deserves. Lord, help us to uh, come to the realization that uh, this is something that we need. This isn't optional. This isn't a, a nice thing if I get around to it, Lord. But this, if, if we want to glorify you, uh, this is something that we ought to uh, pursue, Lord. And there's, there's many incentives that you give us in Scripture. And uh, Lord, help us to be motivated to, to seek out friendships and to invest in those friendships that we already have. Help us to be discerning as we choose friends. Help us to um, be an example to others of what true friendship is. And Lord, if we feel like uh, there's just nobody that I can be a friend to, um, then help us to be an influence upon others so that we could even in your timing develop our future friends as we pour into the church and, and uh, be a, a righteous neighbor that influences others. Lord, give us the wisdom to apply these things to our lives, Lord, and I pray that you'll uh, help us to glorify your Son more and more, even in our friendships. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
uh, before I let you go, any uh, kind of questions about maybe application or what does this look like or any other thoughts uh, about friendships? Uh, there's a lot that, is, that I left untouched, but for the sake of time, you know, I hope that that's helpful. Any questions or, or thoughts or details or applications?